Okay, then let us dive into Exodus. Um, there's one question that I hate answering, um, and it is the question, what do you like to do for fun? Anybody else like tense up at this point? You want to answer? What do you like to do for fun, Piper? Paint. That's that's a great thing to like to do for fun. I love that you know what you like to do for fun. I don't know what I like to do for fun very often. Um, when people ask, like, what's your hobby? My favorite is what do you do in your free time? What do you do in your free time? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like that's and that's what Ava just said is like that's why it's hard for me because on one hand, um, like I, I have some hobbies. I don't want to you know come across as overly lame. Like we play games like crazy um, in our house because we're mad like that. Um, but, like, most of the things that I would naturally love to do just don't fit in Fort Worth. Like, I love to ski. I love to hike. I love to get lost in a mountain. It turns out Fort Worth has a severe lack of mountains to get lost in. Um, love to travel, but that's not something you can do for an hour after work uh, on a random Tuesday. Um, but what Ava said hits it on the head. Jess would tell you that the reason that I don't like that question isn't because the things I like to do don't really come naturally here. Uh, it's just that I don't feel like I have time, and a lot of that's because I end up trending toward, again, her words, not mine, but I work too much, apparently. Um, anybody else get accused of that ever? No, just me. Okay, no hands went up. Great. Um, and yeah, I'm between equipping group and salt and light and housework, just normal stuff, and turns out there's three little people that I have somewhat of a responsibility for. Like, there just doesn't feel like there's a lot of time left. Um, and I'm not complaining. I'm not comparing my situation to yours. Uh, I'm not looking for pity here. But, but rather, I'm kind of sharing that because I'm guessing a lot of us feel like we're in the same boat. There never feels like there's enough time. Work and responsibility always seems to be present and take precedence over hobbies and rests. It just doesn't feel like there's any free time. Anybody else feel that? Um, I don't think it matters your stage of life. Duty and work and busyness wins. And rest and creativity and just being, whether with God or with other people or just even alone, like these are the kind of things that often get put aside and fall through the cracks. Um, I've got a friend who talks about this and even talks about it in reference to uh, Jesus's command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. His name's Elliot. And here's how Elliot talks about loving the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. He sees that the heart and soul is kind of being the under the surface, the below the line aspects of ourselves. Like if you think of an iceberg, these are the things you really can't see. And he sees the mind and strength as being kind of the above the line, the, the things you can see. And Eliot's claim is that we live in an above-the-line kind of world. We, we rely and we look to mind and strength way more than heart and soul. And, and mind strength says, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to make it happen. Mind and strength. I'll put my mind to it and I can do anything. And so we just get in this busyness and busyness of figuring out and getting it done. And, and Eliot would say we don't pay a lot of attention to the below-the-line aspect of ourselves the heart and the soul. Anyone feel that? There's some special ones among us that are really good in the heart and soul, and man, continue to teach us and lead us and model that for us. But for a lot of this, this is so hard. And the reason I'm trying to draw us into this tension and see if you feel this way or if it's just me is that tonight, as we wrap up five months of being in Exodus, we kind of are invited into that same question. What does it look like to rest? What does it look like to be creative. 
What we've seen so far, if you want to give a real brief overview of the last five months, what we've seen is that God has freed Israel from oppression. God has displayed his power over the physical and the spiritual world. God has made Israel into his nation, and he's given them laws, and he's given them ways to worship and follow him, and he's provided for and he's protected his people. And as Exodus ends, we see God call Israel to rest, to Sabbath. We see God call Israel to build a tabernacle where he would meet with his people. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, we saw God give instructions for the tabernacle. But the final chapters of Exodus display just moment after moment of artistry and detail about how the tabernacle was established. And so here's the point. Here's how Exodus ends, is that God's people use their God-given gifts and their God-given time to declare God's glory. After everything he's done for them, this is how Exodus ends, with God's people using their God-given time, their God-given gifts to declare God's glory. And I want to submit today, as we wrap up five months in this book, that if if God's people thousands of years ago used their God-given time and their God-given gifts to declare God's glory, we also can use our God-given time and our God-given gifts to declare God's glory in all of life. Is that fair? Just like Exodus, just like Israel, we can use our God-given time, our God-given gifts to declare God's glory in all of life. So, Father, would you help us to see how relevant even this, this Old Testament tabernacle passage, this Old Testament law of Sabbath can be to us today? And would you draw us in to your goodness? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so two halves of this. First, we're going to read in Exodus 31, starting in verse 1. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bible. The Lord said to Moses, See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him, pay attention to this, with the Spirit of God. And I've filled him with ability and with intelligence. And I've filled him with knowledge and with all craftsmanship, so as to devise artistic designs and to work in gold and silver and bronze and to work in cutting stones for setting and to work in carving wood to work at every craft. All right. This is on the screen still, but what are some of the aspects of creativity that are in these verses? What are some aspects? What are some underlined words? Different materials, yeah, Conley. Ability. Yeah, ability. God gave ability. What else? Craftsmanship. Craftsmanship. Intelligence. Intelligence. Knowledge is up there. Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. And notice the Spirit of God is paired just one within this list. What does God claim to have given of this list? All of it. Right? God doesn't say, I gave the Spirit of God, and oh, they also over here happen to be good artists. He says, I'm the one who gave artistry. I'm the one who gave ability. I'm the one who gave artistic designs. They're all gifts. They're all creativity. They're all from God. And just like every other gift that God gives, what's the point of the gifts that we have? to enjoy them. It's it's to celebrate that gift and to be grateful and out of gratitude, it's to use and steward the gifts that God's given us for God. Right? 
Isn't that, we talk about that all the time as we talk about different passages. Anything that God has given us is his. It's, it's a resource to be used for him. Still today, there's a, a Bezalel Academy of Art and Design in Jerusalem. Um, and, and it's just a, a random fact, but, it, but it's this real-time homage to this man who, who was gifted as a creative in this historical text of Exodus and who used his gifts to oversee the, the creation of this beautiful space and furnishings. Bezalel led out in the drawing of people into the worship of God. But turns out Bezalel was not the only creative being in all of Israel. Exodus 35, God tells Moses, Let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames and its bars and its pillars and its bases, and the ark where the, where the Ten Commandments would be put, with its poles and the mercy seat and the veil of the screen and the table with its poles and all of its utensils, and the bread of the presence and the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and oil for the light, and also the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door, at the door of the tabernacle, and the altar of burning offerings, burnt offerings, with its grating of bronze, and its poles, and all its utensils, and the basin, and its stand, and the hangings of the court, and its pillars, and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, and the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court, and their cords, and the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, and the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons for their service as priest. It's, it's amazing to me the level of detail and the different types of materials and the different types of furnishings and the different types of, of clothing even and the, the care that God gives to, to, to beauty. And, and to creativity and how all of these things, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, we walked through a lot of these different elements and how each of them had such a specific purpose. And Bezalel is in charge of crafting it, but, but God says, let every craftsman come. Let everyone be part. God continues in Exodus 35, all the women whose hearts were stirred to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the breastplate and spices for oil, spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it and gave a freewill offering to the Lord. And then a little bit later, God inspired Bezalel to teach both Bezalel and Oholiab, the son of Oholiab's dad of the tribe of Dan. And he filled all of them with every skill. Who filled all of them? God filled all of them with every skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined thread or by a weaver, any sort of workman or skilled designer. All right, let me just pause there. Anything stick out to you? Anything new? Anything hit you afresh? <laughs> yes, ma'am. They're making fun of me because I just locked it. You did, but I, <laughs> yes. this is not unexpected that but you would immediately think about, think about, about this. Yeah, sure. Like, huh. Okay, so we think of spiritual gifts uh-huh. as being like, you know, the list that we see in the New Testament. 
Um, and they're like real spiritual things, like teaching. You know, we have this like category for spiritual yeah. things. But here it's like God giving them a gift to yeah. art. Yeah. You know, to do handicraft. Did you say to art? To yeah. To art. Yeah. God gave them the gift <laughs> to, to art. art. Yeah. 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 So and, like, and that's I even can part of. You to do anything, basically. That's the part of the. This is why I wanted to even continue to read this list. Like God gets into stuff that we're like, oh, she's a great artist. He's a great weaver. She's a great whatever. And God goes, no, no, no that's Organizer. that's for me. Organizer. <laughs> yeah. Anything else stick out? Both um, professionals and hobbyists. Yeah. Uh, have a place in. Showing God's glory through yeah. creativity. Yeah, I like that. Both professionals and hobbyists have a place in showing God's gift. That's good. Seems almost like anybody that wanted to contribute yeah. would love to contribute. Anybody that wanted to contribute and no one was to. forced and said it was, uh, you know, a free will offering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, women and men from across Israel sewed and built and crafted and created and used their gifts to declare God's glory. And, and, and this is the point that we need to end on before we take a break next week, before we end Exodus. This, this epic story, like Ten Commandments movie, Charlton Heston, this epic story of Exodus ends simply by detailing how this team of creatives uses their God-given gifts to fashion different items that we see in these verses and build a tabernacle, and they do it all to declare the glory of the God who both gave them the gifts and freed them to use those gifts for his glory. And and don't miss this. Those who weren't creative, lest you think like, oh, I don't feel creative. This isn't for me tonight. Those who weren't creative, they provided the materials for this. This is what Curtis is saying. They brought, they brought the, whatever they had multiple times in Exodus 31. 35 till the end, which is just detailing how all of these things were created. Multiple times people bring contributions, yarns, colors, gold, and so forth. The point is that building this tabernacle was a community effort led by those who were gifted in specific ways, who would use their God-given gifts and their creativity to declare the glory of God. But as I was thinking this week, I was like, man, there's like an also alternate universe, equal and, op- equal and opposite way that this gift could play out, both in Exodus and, and still today. Because you're here last week. What happened in last week's verses that also involved craftsmanship and creativity and people bringing materials? You remember? Yeah. God's people fashioned an idol, fashioned a golden calf, and worshipped that thing. Right? Same giftings, same skills, utterly different goal, utterly different means. God's people used their God-given gifts and creativity to declare the glory, not of the true God, but of, of the false God. And I want to submit this happens today just as much as it did then. As, as, as with every God-given gift, we can, and do, we can and do use everything that God gives for ourselves, for alternate gods, and for the purposes of anything but the one true God. 
And, and so this can be a danger for those gifted with creativity. You can use the purpose, you can use the gift for the purpose God gave, or you can squander it and use it for some other purpose. And for those of us who don't feel creative, the same is true for you. Whatever your gifts, whatever materials, whatever resources God gives you, like this is true for all of us. We always have this choice. We can either use those things for God or we can use them for not God. But if you're creative in any sense of the term, I hope you feel affirmed and encouraged today. Like you have the opportunity to use your gift for the glory of God. And this is true no matter what form of creativity God has gifted you with. Today, and especially like in church circles, creative equals the music leaders. And with all gratitude and thanksgiving to you guys, we have some great music leaders on Sundays. But, But creativity goes so much bigger than that. Art, web, drama, comedy, craftsman, design, so many different things. And so, so today you might be, building a ta- you might, might be building a tabernacle or a temple. Probably not, though. Rather than building a tabernacle or a, or a temple, what would it look like for you to use your creativity, sure, on a Sunday, but also in your neighborhood and among your DNA and with friends and in your mission field? What are ways that your creativity can point to God and declare his glory in all of life? Because like this, this should go without saying, but the answer can't be, if you're creative, you should just paint Jesus pictures and sing music, worship, worship music. Like even within Salt and Light, just, I mean, just looking around, like Ben Fort's a comedian. It's his birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, Ben Fort. He's a comedian. Happy birthday. There we go. Double affirmation, because I think you think you're creative, right? So if you're creative, you should be affirmed, and it's your birthday. God made you. God knows you, God loves you, and God leads you, Ben. It's true for anyone with birthdays, any part of the year. We haven't done that in a while. Now I'm completely off track. Anyway, so uh, Ben is is a comedian, and and he writes and thinks on the intersection of, of comedy and faith, and he leads a troupe of folks modeling what a different form of comedy that can look like and, and build people up rather than tear people down. And then, gosh, Bethany has a master's in all things kids and, and does a great job discipling kids back in these rooms back here and leading a team that does that in other aspects of life. And Gabe and Allison are both trained actors. And in fact, Allison's doing that right now. She's at a rehearsal tonight and they've built relationships with others in the theater industry and display and declare the good news. And Kendra Garnett, does amazing web things and does so for Christian organization and Stacy helps build other people's businesses up through social media expertise and other things like that. I'm sure I'm like desperately like botching some of these things, but 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 there's there's so much creativity. And those are those are just a few. You 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 can be creative too. Those aren't the only ones, but but everyone regardless is is gifted in some ways. The point is that we can all find ways to steward our gifts well and point to God and declare his glory. Gosh, I think of Roger and Ross and Carol. Yeah, we got a lot of creative folks among our midst. So again, creativity is one resource that God uses, that God gives people to use to declare his glory or, or not in Exodus and in our lives today. The other half of Exodus 31 shows another specific resource that God gives his people to use to declare his glory, or also not. 
in Exodus and in our lives today. And unlike creativity, because again, if you don't feel creative, there's still this, this day is still for you. Um, the second resource that God mentions is, is not limited to just a few people. Rather, it's a resource we all have, but one that we don't often steward well. So we're back in Exodus 31, verse 12 starts like this. The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, over all the other laws I've given, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Just pause there. Over all the other laws, above all. God just spent like 10 chapters outlining his law. Above all. You shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify or purify or perfect you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Anyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. This sounds pretty harsh, right? Six days work shall be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, in case you missed it the first time, I'll say it again, God says, shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel should keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a promise and a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between the people of Israel and me, that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. What's this resource that God's talking about, that God's challenging our view of? It's time. And just like creativity, time is a gift from God. And just like creativity, we all have a choice in this case, every day and every hour to use that God-given gift of time for God's glory or to use it for ourselves, or some alternate God or anything but God, just like any other gift that God gives. I just finished a book that a friend recommended. Uh, it's called 4,000 Weeks. And I love the subtitle. It says, Time Management for Mortals. 4,000 weeks, time management for mortals. And I can geek out over time management kind of stuff, but this book is not like any other time management resource I've ever seen. Uh, the, claim is, the claim of the book is that we each get about 80 years, it's the 4,000 4, weeks, which when you put it in weeks, it's like, phew, it doesn't seem like a lot. Um, we have about 80 years, give or take, of course. And, no, and the claim is that no matter what you do, you cannot actually manage or control your time. The claim is that it's kind of like highway construction, that anytime you build out a new lane to manage the traffic, what happens as soon as that lane's open? It immediately fills up, and you, now you have to start over and build another new lane, right? This is a, a, a text dot reality kind of thing. And, and his claim, the author's claim is that time, time is like that. Anytime you open up more time, it immediately fills in. So, too, every hour feels too full, even if you have the best project management apps, even if you have the best work-rest balance, time management tips, etc. And so at the end of the book, and again, like you read time management books, like you know, there's always like, here's the tips and tricks part. So at the end of the book, when most folks are like, all right, here's the five things you got to do, his solution is accept that you have limits, accept that there's always more to do than you have time for. And when you accept that, you'll feel more free to be present and be fully wherever you are, with whomever you are, doing whatever you're supposed to be doing. 
And it's like the most, like from a time management book standpoint, like it's the most let downy kind of end. Because like, no, 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 you just built this whole case. What am I supposed to do with it? And his answer is just be present. So it's really like a philosophy of time book, which means like half of you are like, I'm in, and half of you are like, nope, I'm out. And at first glance, it may sound like a really fatalistic solution. Like his, his conclusion may sound fatalistic. There's nothing you can do to manage your time. So just be present. Accept that it's going to take whatever time it takes. Or maybe it's just like Ecclesiastes, which if you haven't read that fantastic book of the Bible, it basically says whatever you try is going to fail and let you down. Or maybe, maybe the author is just echoing the same age-old practice that God is commanding in Genesis and the Ten Commandments and in this passage as well. Because what is Sabbath at its core? It's, it's releasing our control over time. It's, it's releasing our control over productivity. It's releasing our control over life, right? Sabbath at its, at its core is accepting limits and acknowledging that we are not the ultimate providers. Sabbath is a declaration that says, I am not sovereign over my time or my crops for the Old Testament or whatever I put my hand to today. I'm not in control, God is. And, and just to be clear, the New Testament tells us that, that we are freed from a mandated and literal 24-hour Sabbath. Although, if you've never done that, I'd encourage you to try it a few times this summer. For, for, some, for some folks who have a great conviction about 24-hour Sabbaths, or for some folks who are hypothetically accused of being workaholics at times, like, sometimes it takes that long to really actually disconnect and rest. And when I say rest, I don't just mean outwardly, but I mean also that really hard-to-achieve inward rest as well. You know what I'm talking about? Sabbath is still a gift from God. Here's how Jesus says it. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so we're not going to be killed for working on Sunday anymore. And yet it's still a gift by which we are able to declare God is in control. God is the one who sanctifies, and one translation says God is the one who establishes his people, not us. How is Sabbath a gift? It's a gift because we get to say anytime we disconnect, 24 hours or not or whatever it may be, anytime we stop working and cease and rest and recreate, Sabbath says, God is more important than my work. God is more powerful than my abilities. Like, Sabbath is a battle against the mind and strength above the line life. Sabbath is a way to engage the heart and the soul and to declare God's glory with our times. Does that make sense? All all I'm trying to say is just like creativity, time is a God given gift. And we can use it for him and to bless others, or we can use it for anything but him, especially ourselves, especially our own glory. Make sense? So before we wrap up tonight in Exodus, I want to zoom out just a little bit and remind you, when we saw God give instructions for the tabernacle, 
we said that in the tabernacle there are these echoes of the Garden of Eden, and there are these foreshadows of Jesus and of eternity. And if you weren't here, go back and look at Exodus 25, 26, 27, because there you'll see God has always had a dwelling place among his people. And God's dwelling has always been good because it reflects God. And so in the tabernacle, all the furniture and all the layout and all the elements, they're, they're looking back to God's first perfect dwelling with his people, and they're looking forward to God's final dwelling with his people. The, the tabernacle is, is a reflection of Eden and a foreshadow of the new heavens and new earth. Now, I don't have time today to recap all that, but, but I do need us to take one step deeper into that to wrap up Exodus well. Because for all of human history and across just about every culture and every era of time, there, there's a few things that every human has done. My friend Jeff Vanderstelt, who some of you have met, calls these rhythms. He says that, that, that into every human is just baked these natural things, perhaps supernatural things, in the same way that we can call weaving a natural thing. But God says, no, 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 that's from me too. So, so there's these natural or super, supernatural things that are just baked into the rhythms of human life. Can you, can you think of things that every human does? What are some things every human does? Eat. Sleep. Breathe. Celebrate. Celebrate. I thought we were going to stop at eat, sleep, and breathe. It's not a bad life. Sounds restful. (laughs) Eat, sleep, breathe. Celebrate. Dance. Cry. Cry. Yeah, because not only do we celebrate, we also mourn sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a few of these, at least. Jeff says... And, and I would argue, kind of like Stacy just brought out, every one of these kind of has an equal and opposite to it. Like every human eats, and also every human, for many reasons, refrains from eating. Uh, every human celebrates. We also mourn and grieve. Um, these next two kind of go hand in hand. Every human shares stories and then listens to stories, top of the next column. Every human blesses. Might not use that term, but... but but gives or benefits or blesses or serves. And also every human is blessed and receives at some point. And then just as work is good, so is rest or recreate part of every human culture. And what's interesting about this is that not only does every culture do all of these in some form... Also, all of these exist, and go look it up, all of these exist in the Garden of Eden. We see from God's very first chapters of how he created his people, all of these things are interwoven into the very fabric of creation. Here's just one example. God gave Adam and Eve a garden full of food to eat, right? He nourished them. He provided for them. He gave them one rule. And they ate the fruit, the one fruit that they weren't supposed to. And they chose to, to rather than obey God and use eating for his glory, they chose to eat in a way that led sin into the world. The whole garden is a story of God's greatness and his glory. And instead of believing that story, Adam and Eve instead believed a lesser story and an alternate story and a lie. Does that make sense? 
We've just walked through for the last half hour the fact that, that Exodus 31 shows us resting and recreating, right? Recreating, another way to say recreating. We, we're called to rest. We're called to, to recreate and display God's glory. The whole Bible reminds us that there's a bigger and better story than any other story in the world, and we're invited into that story. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 is, is an echo of this where Paul, God through Paul, charges God's people, whether you eat or drink or what? Or whatever you do. Which is to say anything under the sun, whether you eat or drink or anything you do, do it all, all to the glory of God. And we can ask, whose voices do we listen to? We've already prayed into the fact that there are people celebrating across our culture and there are people grieving and mourning across our culture this week. What is it that we celebrate? We have far greater joys and far greater hopes to celebrate. All of these things are interwoven into our lives, just like creativity, just like time, just like different resources. These, these rhythms are gifts by which our whole life can declare the glory of God. This is what God's people do in response to a book that displays his salvation, displays his purifying work, displays him calling people to himself. How do they, how do they end this book? By turning it all back to God and saying, you are worthy of my gifts, you're worthy of my resources, you're worthy of my time, you're worthy of my worship. Here's the last word to the book of Exodus. Throughout all their journeys, because y'all know this, Exodus doesn't end with Israel getting to the promised land. It's kind of a kind of a cliffhanger of a book. They're going to wander the wilderness for a while. But you know who's going to be with them as they wander the wilderness? J- just like the promise of God the Spirit being with us as we wander through this world that, that we don't fully belong in. Here's how Moses writes it. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel, God was with them throughout all their journeys. This is the reality is that God has always been present and always has been doing for his people what he did for Israel here in Exodus. God has always been freeing people and redeeming people and correcting people and purifying people and blessing people and leading people. That was true through the Old Testament. That's true through the New Testament. That's true today. God led Israel by a cloud and fire. Today, God leads us by the spirit and word. But what was God's greatest display of glory? What was God's greatest presence here on earth? It's Christ Jesus, who is far more glorious than any human creation, who is far more pure than any gold that people brought as free will offerings. And and Jesus was far more present with God than anyone or anything since or before ever could be. Jesus' life and death and resurrection and reign 
was the perfect fulfillment of all of God's creative work and all of God's redemptive work. Jesus alone fully rested in God and, and, and is truly the Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus is also the only one who can usher us fully into God's eternal dwelling and his present presence. And he did so by the most glorious work in all of history, which is giving himself as a much harder free will offering than any amount of gold or goat's hair or yarn or whatever else and dying for our sins and freeing us for eternal life and then sending his spirit to empower us to go and declare God's glory with our time and with our creativity and with our resources and with all the different rhythms and with all of life. Amen? So let's end by overtly declaring the glory of God through this one element of 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, but tonight we're going to eat and drink and declare God's glory. So communion is this meal that Jesus gave us to remember and declare his glory until he returns. So if you need a gluten-free option, uh, all of the matzah tonight is gluten-free. Decided to make it easier for you. If you need an individual option, they're back here. But if you will, take the bread and we'll say this represents the body of Christ who tabernacled among us, who is present and displayed God more fully than anything before or since. And dip it in the juice or the wine We'll say this is the blood of Christ, which was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we'll say take and eat as we remember that this is our way home. And this is our way into God's presence. God with us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Take and eat. Father, we thank you for that truth that you are in us. That's your presence that fills are all in all, or that more than any tabernacle, more than any riches, you and you alone are the fullness of God. Would you cause us to see whatever resource, whether it's tangible or esoteric or something like time, whatever it is, as a gift from you and a gift for you? Would you help us steward and use it well for your glory and your glory alone today?